Our New Testament this reading this morning is from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it is really you, Tell me to come to you and walk on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they said. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. So Jesus, again, after really spending himself and, and the power of God within him uh, and the disciples working to feed those who are hungry, those who are uh, lost, and Jesus has spent this time uh, still grieving the loss of John the Baptist. And so he finishes that work of ministry and he yet again seeks to be by himself, that he might commune with his Father, as we have seen as in his practice to do, as leads us as disciples, that we go uh, spend time apart, alone, to do the same thing as part of our discipleship journey. And so here Jesus uh, goes again. He sends the disciples in one boat. Uh, he goes in another boat. He goes across the shore. They are making their way across the Sea of Galilee. And uh, Matthew tells us that the waves were a bit of a struggle. You know, and if you've ever tried to, uh, if you've ever been in a smaller boat or you've ever tried to paddle a kayak or even like paddle a surfboard out, uh, you know, away from shore and you kind of get out there where the waves are a little bigger, uh, even on a small lake, it really makes a difference when the wind blows and it gives you that fear of, oh my goodness, I don't think my little vessel here was made for these kind of waves. I don't think my little boat, my little fishing boat was made for this kind of water with this kind of wind. And so they are scared and they're working through this so in the fourth watch of the night which is like 3 a.m to 6 a.m they see someone walking to them on the water and they assumed what all of us would assume it was a ghost <laughs> something weird is going on here is this a visitation from like my dead uncle or what's going on this is this is weird uh there's somebody walking on the sea and so they moved from, oh my gosh, it's a ghost, which is what they actually say. They were terrified. 
They were troubled and they cried out in fear. They were truly afraid of what they saw. Now we add the fear of seeing what you think is a ghost to the already existent fear of, I mean, the reason, the whole reason you don't want your your boat to turn over, I can't talk today, is that you are afraid of what is underneath the surface of the water, especially at 3 a.m. There in the, you add what's under the water that you can't see to the ancient mind was terrifying and you add darkness to that and it's just more terrifying. Uh, this, this idea that, that, you know, the sea was a scary thing to them. Anything under the water was, was scary. That's where the monsters lived. That's where all the evil spirits were. And you just wanted to stay away from underneath the water. They did not think of this as like a fun thing to go swimming in, uh, but this was scary stuff. So they were afraid. So they see that, you know, okay, this is a ghost. They know in their Old Testament Sunday school imagination that the only one who can walk on water is God. They remember words from Job and from Habakkuk that God, you are alone the one who stretched out the heavens. You alone trampled the depths of the sea. Like they knew that only God could do something like that. And, you know, the last person they expected to see walking towards them that day was anything like their God. So they're terrified, they're troubled, they're crying out in fear. But immediately, as Jesus so often does when we're afraid, he speaks to the group. He speaks to those in the boat and he says, hey, take heart. Or I love the translation, let your heart take courage. The word courage comes in here uh, in the Greek. Let your heart take courage. Uh, And then this little Greek phrase, ego eimi, which means it is I, or more a better translation in this case is I am. I am. Let your heart take courage. I am. Do not be afraid. And of course, for them as Jewish guys, they, they knew when they heard those words, I am, what are they going to associate that with? You know, they're going to remember a time where uh, there's a, a burning bush. Remember this story in Moses where the, the bush is on fire, but it's strange because it's not being consumed. And so they know this story from the time they're you know, knee-high to a grasshopper. So they know these words, I am, this is God's name. And so again, they're going, okay, the only one that can walk on water, the only one that has authority over the sea would be God. And then here's, this, here's Jesus telling us not to be afraid. And the specific reason is, I am. And so all the little you know, alarms are going off in their mind going, well, could this be, could it be that this is God? Is this truly God? And, you know, because who else can walk on the waves like this? So I am in the same way that the the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. They're watching somebody walk on the created elements of our world, water and wind, and somehow they're not sinking. That does not happen on your average Tuesday morning, right? This explains to them in that moment why there's somebody walking on water, how this is happening. Uh, The fancy theology word for this is this is a theophany. This is God showing himself in a special way. And we're, we're seeing, we're witnessing this miracle. I love how in this story, it's a good reminder of how faith works. Faith does not originate in our own hearts, in our own minds. Uh, Sometimes we like to think that it does, you know, that we can just, you know, furrow our eyebrow and bear down hard enough to just believe and just believe, just believe. 
but it doesn't work that way. In the beginning, the very first thing that happens in a faith relationship is God gives the gift of faith. God is the first one to act. God steps toward us and gives us the capacity in our hearts and in our minds to believe, to trust. And so with that gift comes this whirlwind of trust and this new gift inside of us where we can, oh my goodness, I don't have to be as afraid of the troubling things under the waters, but instead I can attach all of that, that energy and I can put my mind to work trusting someone who's greater than even the waves, even the stuff that's underneath the sea. And so the gift of faith awakens in us this capacity, this ability to delight. It joins our mind to God. That's the way Thomas Aquinas liked to talk about it, that faith is what joins our mind to God. It weds them together. It connects our mind with God. And so Jesus walking to them, it lifts their faith eventually. This is how the story goes. Jesus walking towards them, just as if he was walking towards us, he lifts faith. But at first, it scares the fire out of them, right? Because nobody walks on water. That just doesn't happen. So as they're thinking, only God could do this, right? God is the one in the Old Testament who treads upon the waves in Job. God is the one who stills the roaring of the seas in the Psalms. God is the one who saves the faithful from drowning in Psalm 18. And so Peter answers Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. When I first started working with this passage this week, I just I wrote out in the side of my notes, that is a heck of a thing to say to somebody, right? That is a wild thing to say to even someone that you suspect may be the son of God. Lord, command me and I will step out towards you on the water. Because we all see things in the water that trouble us, and rightly so. We are fully aware of evil and the things that are worth being troubled about that are underneath the waters of our lives and in our institutions and in the places we do our business and raise our families. And so we ask the question, how do we live? How do we live in the midst of all of the things that are troubling? How do we respond as Christians? And Peter leads us in an alternative way of life where we don't just have to be smashed around by the fears and by all that troubles us. But Peter stands out as an exemplar for the Christian faith in this moment. It is an amazing and incredible thing that Peter says. We're always so quick to pick on Peter because he just has so many times in the story that he stumbles. But this is the one person. The story moves from the disciples interacting with Jesus to it's, now it's just Peter. Peter's the only one that speaks up. Notice John, Matthew, nobody else says, okay, Lord, just command me and I'll walk out on the water to you. But Peter's the only one that says this. It's an unbelievable thing, this gift of faith married with the energy inside of Peter that desires to connect with God, that desires to be a leader, that desires to not just be a fisher of fish, but to be a fisher of people. Call me, Lord, if you'll just call me. I understand how trust and faith works, that I have to learn how to be obedient. If you'll call me, if you'll tell me what to do, I will answer you and I will walk. I'll answer with my feet. I'll even put them on this crazy troubled water and I will walk to you. So the beautiful thing about faith is we receive it as a gift, but then if we do nothing with it, it just becomes something like a muscle that atrophies. It doesn't grow. It doesn't 
grow into what it's supposed to be. So we receive the gift of faith. We believe in Jesus. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We go down the list. We pass confirmation class. We're doing really well. But if we don't practice our faith, that thing begins to shrink inside of us. And our mind, it's like our imagination shrinks. And we see things differently. All we can see is the trouble underneath the waters. And we don't see an alternative way to live. So Jesus calls Peter in this moment, and Peter jumps right out there to exercise his faith. It's incredible. It's a practice of faith. It's something that's amazing, a call that requires obedience. Peter wakes up, and his faith begins to grow. Faith is that thing inside of us that first given by God, it either grows or it lessens all the time. Our faith, my faith, your faith— is always growing or it's always shrinking. It doesn't, it can't stay in the middle. It's just moving one way or another. And I think you and I could chart times in our lives where we would go back through our lives and recognize moments where we felt like our faith was stronger. Sometimes we don't realize whether our faith is strong in the moment. Sometimes it takes us time to look back and say, you know, my faith really was strong in that moment. And I didn't even realize it at the time. Uh, And other times you think, gosh, I really just wasn't up to the task in that moment. I just let my faith slip. I wasn't really practicing. I wasn't engaging. I wasn't praying. I wasn't uh, attending to the sacraments. I was just kind of floating. And therefore, I had my mind focused mainly on the troubled waters. That's mainly what I spent my time thinking about in those days. And I have been there. So Jesus, in his beautiful way of training and teaching the disciples, Peter says, if you'll just call me, I'll come to you. And Jesus says, okay, come come to me. And so, you know, just that's the great thing about practicing our faith is that Jesus is a very patient coach. Amen. He is a patient coach. Uh, He does not call us to do these things so that we'll get it right the first time. And believe me, I need to hear that all the time. There are things about our faith that will always feel awkward as we get started. And this is just how it works. And so thanks be to God, Jesus is a great coach. He says, okay, let's try this thing out. Go ahead and come. Jesus is so patient in this moment because he realizes, Jesus realizes he is not only the goal of our faith, but he is also the means by which we arrive at our goal. So Jesus is both the object of our faith, where we turn our eyes towards, as the song says, but Jesus is also the way that we get there. So we lean our trust into Jesus to even help us arrive in faith, walking towards Jesus. And Peter demonstrates this so well maybe one of the most understated bits in the whole Bible. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water and he came to Jesus. I don't know what else to say besides in my notes. Just that's incredible. That's incredible. Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water and he came to Jesus. Then there's a a however in the story, a but in the story where Peter is walking towards Jesus, but Matthew tells us that he began to lose sight of Jesus and instead focused his attention on the wind. And therefore he was afraid. And he was beginning to sink at that moment. And so he cried out, Lord, save me. Now something happens to Peter as he begins to walk on water, but then his line of sight changes. And instead of turning his eyes upon Jesus, as many of us do so often, he turns his eyes to the troubling factors, to the statistics, to the things that are hard to get out of your mind to see how this could be any different. And he sees the wind, 
He remembers what's below the surface of the sea, and that's all he can focus on. And so his body begins to sink. But remember, Peter's in this discipleship lab, and so he knows what to do when he's sinking. Thank goodness. And we do too. This is something we're always learning. Peter knows exactly what to do, and he cries out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, save me is like the best prayer that you could ever have in your pocket. It's the prayer we should always have on the tip of our tongue. It's the prayer that I think I pray most often. It's a prayer that when I first hear it, I think, oh, that's the prayer we pray when we first want to have a relationship with Jesus. Lord, save me. But in reality, this is our everyday prayer, right? This is our three-word prayer that you can always take to the bank. Lord, save me. When you get out of bed in the morning, Lord, save me. When you're going to bed at night, Lord, save me. On the lunch break, Lord, save me. When you're going into a difficult meeting, Lord, save me. When you're having trouble with your homework, Lord, save me. When you can't figure out any way forward, Lord, save me. One of my favorite prayers is from Psalm 40. Be pleased, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Be pleased, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me, which is just a few more words of saying, Lord, save me. But be pleased, God, to be my deliverer yet again. Uh, today, I need you right now in this moment. Lord, save me. Lord, save us. It's a great prayer of the church. Lord, save us. I think of the passage in Hebrews where the, the story is going along and we hear about the great faith of our ancestors. We hear about Abraham and we hear about Sarah. We hear about Rahab. We hear about Noah. We hear about those who have gone before us. And it's this great faith-building moment. And then chapter 12 begins this way. Right? Therefore, since we're surrounded by all of these great this great cloud of witnesses, all the people that have gone before us. And in our case, it's all the people that have gone on to be with the Lord, the great cloud of witnesses. Uh, they're, they're inspiring us. They're cheering us on. Uh, since they are there, let us not lose heart. You know, let us move forward. And verse 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is the one place that we know we can look and things are going to go the way we need them to go. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So when we begin to sink you know, in life, it's, it's usually we, we realize that somehow I, I'm not walking on water anymore. My eyes were diverted. I was distracted, and I just need a moment to fix my eyes on Jesus again. Uh, and so we begin to do that, you know, and then, and then we walk again. We look to Jesus, who is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, uh, has all authority, and we look to Jesus. Lord, save me. We echo this prayer together. It's so faith-building. You know, it just it grows inside of us as we pray it. This is necessary vocabulary. I'm beginning to think this is like the ABCs of prayer. Lord, save us. It's heart language for us disciples as we're trying to make our way in the world. So Peter's sinking. He cries out, Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? You know, does Jesus say, sorry, Peter, you had your shot. You know, not today. I'll find somebody else. It's been nice knowing you. Have fun with the whales. You know, have fun with the things that you're afraid of under the water. No, of course not. Jesus reaches down, you know, and for my money, like if I was a painter, 
and I was painting something today, I would want that picture. I would want that picture somehow of Jesus reaching down into the water to grab our hand. Isn't that a comforting image? That just wherever we are, we're falling down in the trouble and Jesus just immediately reaches his hand down. So he grabs hold of Peter and he pulls him up out of the water, immediately reached out his hand. He didn't, you know, take a deep breath. He just immediately reaches down, takes hold of Peter and says, Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you hesitate? You know? And when they got in the boat, the wind stopped. And those in the boat worshiped Jesus saying, truly, you are the son of God. Psalm 18, God sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of the many waters. So much about the nature of God here, God's willingness, his disposition to save us, to reach for us when we're sinking. And I think I've told you this before, but you know, for the longest time I thought, oh, you of little faith, Peter, why did you hesitate? Why did you doubt? I thought of that as kind of a scolding tone of voice. And the more I read that, I realized that is not the tone of voice of Jesus. This is the one person in the boat who got out of the boat, right? This is the one person who said, Lord, if you'll just call me, I'll walk to you. This is not somebody with the dismal faith. This is somebody of great faith. But Jesus is saying, it's like, it's like the coach. When you're coaching little dribblers or you're coaching junior high or even high school, I think it's, you don't really have to do this anymore once you get into the upper levels. But very often the best shooter on your basketball team is the one that's hesitant to shoot because they've been practicing and they've been practicing, but they don't want to be the, 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 the hot, you know, the hot shot. They don't want to be, and they've been working, but their confidence maybe is not as high. And what a coach is always have to tell players like that. Hey, man, when you catch the ball and you're wide open at the top of the key, take that shot. Why did you hesitate? It's not because they're mad. They're just saying, you can really do this. You can be the best shooter on our team. You just got to take the shot. And, you know, so often, I mean, I was the kid. A lot of us were the kid. We catch the ball. We have a wide open shot. And we're like, who can I pass to? <laughs> who can I pass to? Because I don't want to be the one that takes the risk. And it's like Jesus saying, Peter, just take the shot. Why did you hesitate? I, I'm training you up for this very moment. Why did you hesitate? It's okay to take the shot. The phrase, you of little faith, only occurs in the New Testament in the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's the only time we see this, this, this phrase. And it only ever is spoken to the disciples. So it tells you that it's not something that is said to people with no faith. It's said to people who are trying to grow their faith. Right? It's, it's showing us where we are in our faith, and then it's inviting us to take a step forward. Uh, there's another word that Matthew uses when he wants to say, these are people that don't believe in Jesus, and that word is unbelief. But this is a different word. You of little faith is, is saying, you are my students. You are my disciples, uh, and it's time that you take another step. You got to take the shot. These tests in our faith, as Peter underwent, I think they really reveal where we are. I know they reveal where I am. When I face things like this and I begin to fall and slip and I cry out, Lord, save me, I realize, you know, this is something I needed to grow in. This is an area. This is a growth area for me. It's an edge. It reveals where I am. It exposes places that I'm not trusting Jesus. So we are students. We are disciples. I think of our educators here. I think of those of you that are teachers and you parents thinking of anyone who's called to grow people or organizations 
or crops for that matter, because the odds are against us. You know, the odds are underneath the, the troubled waters. And sometimes they're the loudest thing that we can hear. We just so many times assume that underneath the water is what wins. And so we need that encouragement to fix our eyes on Jesus, to take those steps of faith. I love the closing scene of this passage uh, because it's, it ends with this triumphant de declaration of worship. You know, we so often think of worship as uh, what we do when we sing and we gather on Sunday mornings. And that is a, sort of a, a major pinnacle of our worship. And we love that part of our worship. But worship at its core is really what these disciples have said when they were scared to death on the boat and then they see Jesus walk and then they see the whole thing with Peter and they say together, now it comes back to all of them and they say, whoa, truly you are the son of God. That, that's worship. He said, we have seen it with our own eyes. We believed it with our own hearts and our own minds. And now we're not going to ever be the same again. You know, truly you are the son of God. And any time in our lives, anything that we do that says, truly you are the son of God, Jesus, that's worship. That shows this surrender of our lives to something greater. And that is worship. You are truly the Son of God. And Peter not only leads those in the boat, but Peter leads us today. I think Peter walks out on the water as a representative of the church that Jesus would build upon Peter. There's this great quote uh, by this book in the early 20th century by a guy named John Shedd. And I truly don't know anything about the book, but I've heard this quote and I absolutely love it. And he said that a ship is safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are for. Isn't that great? A ship is safe in the harbor, but that is not why we build ships. That is not what they're for. And so, you know, I wonder what it would look like for us as a church, as the capital C church, and then as First Methodist Sweetwater, what it would look like for us to begin each day to end each day seeing Jesus. If the goal of our week, we gather and we see Jesus, we celebrate Jesus, we declare together that truly you are the Son of God, we communicate with Jesus, we grow in our faith in Jesus, and then filled with the courage in our hearts from that faith in Jesus, we walk together. We walk together as the church out on the water, trampling over evil, trampling over death, and we say together as a church, Lord, call to us on the water of the world. And we recognize that when you call us, we're not going to stay in the boat. We're going to walk to you. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to see a ship in the harbor. That's not what we were made for. The church was created, was born to mobilize, to walk on water, to be out there in the world showing people that there's more to life than what's underneath the surface of the water that we're afraid of. And that is our calling. Uh, that is our joy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.